You're listening to the Body Literacy Podcast, your connection to the art and science of feeling really good body, mind, and spirit. I'm your host and holistic health coach, Jen Mayo. If you've never experienced truth and freedom inside your body, an amazing adventure is about to begin. Healing happens in community. Body literacy is your tribe. Join me in discovering the keys to fearlessly unlocking your body's innate intelligence and resilience. Turn on to the wisdom of your body as we connect your wellness dots by exploring whole person healing from neuroscience and nutrition to sexual health and sleep. Join the wellness revolution and start speaking your body's language. Before we get started, I wanted to introduce you to the most profound and impactful piece of health technology I've encountered in three decades of navigating my own health challenges. LifeWave is a wearable health technology that uses your own light energy to optimize your health. If you've followed the Body Literacy Podcast for any period of time, you likely already know that I'm a bit of a walking science experiment. I have a passion for exploring how time-honored ancient healing arts can be coupled with modern science and technology to optimize our health, wellness, and vitality, and how we can empower ourselves with the knowledge and optimization of our own onboard wisdom and healing potential rather than viewing the human body as a problem to be solved. LifeWave's phototherapy patches use light to stimulate the body's natural healing systems. By applying LifeWave's non-transdermal patches to specific points on the body similar to acupressure, where the patch covers the skin, infrared light emitted from the body is reflected back into the tissue, stimulating specific regions of the brain and tapping into the body's own flow of energy and the ability to heal itself. LifeWave patches are not intended to treat any specific condition or disease, but rather support the body's own innate healing mechanisms. When we take a holistic approach to health and consider there is really only one state of dis-ease in the body imbalance, rather than the 32,000 diseases defined by conventional medicine, rebalancing the body and supporting our own built-in capacity to heal becomes a journey of ease rather than a frustrating and disempowering struggle to control dis-ease. Energy medicine operates by a different set of rules than material medicine. I talk about experience-based medicine a lot, and LifeWave is simply a therapy you have to take for a test drive to feel the benefits for yourself. To learn more or try them out, just visit genmayo.com LifeWave. David Alexander Wilson is a somatic counselor who uses a non-pathologizing and integrative approach to support individuals combining somatic, emotional, and psychological processes, teaching, and applied wisdom to facilitate self-inquiry and inner growth. He values the importance of co-creating a safe space where people can relax, discover, and regain a sense of trust in themselves assisting them to live a life aligned with their inner wisdom and deepest truth. He is committed to helping others work on past traumas and heal unresolved wounds that continue to sabotage their lives and relationships and keep them constrained in a victim mindset and disconnected from their own essence. David draws upon his life experiences and shares his healing and therapeutic processes focused on trauma healing as a gateway to living wholehearted, expansive lives in this episode. Welcome to the show, David. Nice to see you, Jen, again. Yes, yes. So I was really intrigued when we met because I know that you are a dentist, but you have gone into more of the realm of trauma counseling, which we have some overlap Mm -hmm. in, in the things we do there. But I had done a podcast episode with a gentleman by the name of Fraser Bailey, who is actually also from Australia, where you come from. And he had done several films, several documentary films, one being about holistic dentistry and one being about the role of emotions in the development of disease. So when I found out that you were a dentist as well as a trauma counselor, that kind of piqued my interest. So can you tell us a little bit about your background in both of those fields and how you came to be where you're at now? Yeah, for sure. I mean, in dentistry, I read a book, you know, Waking the Tiger many, many, many years ago. Mm -hmm. And that was my entry point. I think seeing so many clients coming in and not knowing what to do with very traumatized clients, sometimes it was a bit overwhelming. And so I just thought, you know, I, I wanted to get more resource, more informed. And that was my entry point. And basically, I think I quickly developed a a reputation of being very good with nervous clients. Mm -hmm. And it was just to educate myself and to really understand why people were behaving the way they were, 
um, sometimes what seemed to be irrational. And then I went into there and then as a sideline, I was starting obviously counseling for my own journey of wanting to understand myself uh, at a deeper level. And so I kind of developed kind of two tracks of dentistry on the one hand and, and counseling on the other. I think it's really overlooked, especially in the field of dentistry, of how much anxiety many people do have going in to sit into a dentist chair and how the psychological factors of letting somebody into your body that way really factor into their overall wellness. And I'll just, I'll, I'll briefly give a dental experience I had. I had tooth extractions and the difference between when I had the first one done and when I had the second one done after I had done so much work on learning about my own nervous system and the reactions I was having in my body. The first one took me a much longer time to heal from and the pain and discomfort and anxiety I had in that first experience was so much greater than the second one where I had really gone through the process of learning how to meditate and do embodiment practices and use my breath as a way to calm my nervous system. The difference between those two, both from just my experience sitting in the chair and how quickly I healed after the fact, I mean, even in terms of bleeding and, uh, you know, not having to take painkillers and so forth was so much different. So I think the fact that you've got that perspective, because so many people do have a lot of anxiety about, about dental work, which I think rightly so, but I think we're starting to see more and more holistically minded dentists come into the scene and realize what a bigger role that they play in somebody's overall health. So I think that's, that's really wonderful. Your website, you have a wonderful quote that I just want to read real quickly. It says the real voyage of discovery consists not in seeking new landscapes, but in having new eyes, um, which is a quote by Marcel Proust. Can you expand a little bit on that and how that perspective kind of plays into the work you do in trauma counseling now? I mean, even that, even, even with, dentistry is to kind of give even someone new, a new set of eyes, a new lens to look through. Yeah. And even into like early childhood wounding for many people, you know, like some escape and somehow say what would be deemed a stable attachment partner. Right. But for many, it isn't like that. Mm-hmm. So touching into like in the dental arena off that quote almost is like seeking first to understand before I'm understood. Right. Right. And really treating every client who I have in the dental chair as having had an experience of abuses and they've had the boundaries disrespected or something. Right. So kind of by working them with that as to support them to re-empower themselves in the chair. Mm-hmm. So a sense of agency in the chair so that there's no power differential. Yeah. And also supporting them to be able to feel that from the inside out. Mm-hmm. And with the quote, that's the thing, is like knowing that the map's not the territory. So whatever lens we look through and view life at, Mm-hmm. It's not really the terrain, right? It's so much vaster. Right, right. And so many people can get because of whatever happened to them when they were younger or mm-hmm. in the teenagers or adult years. And right. they can yeah, become, say, the lens can become very restricted or limited and they may not even be aware of that. Right, right. So it's kind of supporting an individual to support themselves to almost polish, tweak, open, expand like the lens Mm-hmm. on which they're viewing life, starting from the inside out. Exactly. Exactly. That's wonderful. Mm-hmm. And where? how did you come to making the, the transition from doing more dental work into doing more trauma counseling? I, I think because I'm not the reputation I developed. Like I've always lo- I always loved dentistry. Obviously, I don't do it now, but I quit about two years ago. And But I love the carpentry aspect. I love working with my hands. Mm-hmm. And I just love people. I love meeting people. I always have always been the same, right? Which was one of my entry points into dentistry. Yeah. The carpentry side and the people side that yeah. to be of service. And the the trauma side was I started getting a lot of very traumatized clients, a lot of clients with complex histories. Um, some hadn't been in the dentistry, dentist for 20 years or so, 30 years. And then I started to notice there was a lot of a lot of sexual abuse with my clients. And also a lot with clients who were really shut down, who they were very collapsed. Mm-hmm. You know, if you look at like constriction patterns and so on in the body, and they would come in either puffed up, but you would feel there was no energy in the legs, or they would come in like very collapsed. And, and then you could look at the muscles of facial expression, the eye contact, 
like the life force, the energy inside, the richness of the, the person. It's, and I was just really curious, like, what is that? And how can I support this person to have a, maybe a very different experience from what they've had before? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. And it w- is, was that part of your intake process too, is just getting to know a more holistic version of, of where your clients were or where your patients were coming from rather than just looking in their mouth directly at their teeth? Yeah, I mean, I mean for sure. Like, but people would refer to me mainly. I got a reputation for certain things. Um, so I kind of just attracted people who felt that they'd been very either disrespected, very invalidated, that they weren't important in the dental chair, which mm-hmm. is often an echo from the past. But often there's some truth in that. Mm-hmm. You know, not many practitioners in various, obviously, modalities aren't versed in, in the kind of a, a traumatized system, let's just right. say, right? and how to approach that. And obviously, as a clinician, I lend my nervous system to my client. Mm-hmm. So if I'm carrying stuff and they, because of their, say, traumatization, right, they're going to be a bit more sensitive than normal, a bit right. more aroused, hypervigilant, and they're going to pick up on my energy. So almost as a duty of care as one thread, as, again, work doing my own work and also explaining this and bringing this into the field with the clients. So, but we used to have amazing conversations. I mean... Mm-hmm conversations probably what most dentists wouldn't have with their clients but I, I just saw them as a fellow brother or sister mm-hmm. who were putting their trust in me I really respect and valued that and honored that with right. that exchange of energy right right and I'm seeing that a lot in this sort of paradigm shift from a more disempowered model of care where we're sort of handing our power over to an, a, a quote-unquote authority figure to somebody who's more our equal and a partner and health. So it sounds like you're really embracing that, that concept. And I'm, I'm encouraged by the fact that I think we're seeing a lot more practitioners come into that space and start to occupy understanding a trauma informed perspective, but just the level of getting to know your patients too. I think historically doctors and healthcare practitioners really did used to have the ability to do that, but the way the insurance model has shifted things and so forth, the amount of time that's been allotted to allow doctors to work directly with their patients and get to know a more holistic perspective of the person that they're working with has changed, but maybe we're seeing a little bit more of a shift with that perhaps. I'd like to track like, I mean, I still think from what I've experienced, it's not, let's just say a big enough or vast enough to see. However, it is happening for sure. Sure. And I think also as clients, fellow human beings get more informed, they they very clear on what they want and what they do want, what they don't want, sorry. Yeah. And they ask for it. Yeah. Which I really encourage, you know, whether the client was five years old or or 30 or 70. Exactly. And and as I'd often say to clients, you know, if, if you sense the you could sense the, or I could sense the vulnerability, like mm. it, it's just, it's in the room. It's just the, the, it's visceral. Right. I'd often say, you know, you know, sometimes when we were younger, maybe, you know, something happened, what we weren't in control of. And now, you know, we get a, an opportunity to do something very different. Mm-hmm. And, you know, obviously there's many ways in and then often a client would have a beautiful share or have some tears and, and then, and then we hit the ground running, right? Mm-hmm. So many times I'd, I'd speak with a client for a while and not doing any dental treatment, even if they were in for something. Right. But you find the second, third session, you could do more work than it had done in 15 years, if you like, just by the, the, the trust being there. Mm-hmm. And you would layer all that in so they could really feel it and know it. And then you would practice it. And then you, you develop your relationship. Yeah. 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 Oh, it's beautiful. Definitely. And you kind of alluded earlier to having to know yourself before you can kind of move on and help others come to know themselves or serve as a facilitator for that. Do you have a background? So we kind of wanted to frame this conversation as talking about sexual trauma being a, a pandemic that's that's not been largely addressed in a more cultural, broader cu- cultural way. So do you have any kind of personal experiences that kind of played into that transition into sexual trauma counseling? Yeah. 
I mean, my, my story, Jen, was I, I was sexually abused from the age of, say, three. That was my earliest memory mm-hmm. to 10 when I stopped it. And it was I didn't have my first memory of it until I was in my early 30s okay. when an event happened again with the person who had actually abused me. Mm-hmm. And that evening, I started to get severe flashbacks and nightmares. And that's when they, it's almost like the, the top came off the bottle. Mm-hmm. But prior to that, like when I, when I track back now, there were so many of the warning signs there or the flags or the, the symptoms of, let's just say, from being realizing I was hyper aroused, realizing I used to do a lot of risk taking. Mm-hmm. I have like periods of the energy of like anxiety and or collapse, depression, like a push, 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 collapse, yeah. push, 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 collapse. So, you know, hypersexual things like and periods of asexuality. And so there was so much there which I had no idea of because I hadn't had any recollection of a a visual memory, let's just say. Yeah. Until that happened. Right. So that was my entry point. And then first off the back of that to, to do my own healing, you know, and spending years on really doing the inner work before I did the outer work. Right. And then gradually again, I developed a word of mouth where clients started a company who as one of my clientele who've experienced a lot of childhood sexual abuse and, and trauma, including emotional, psychological, psychospiritual, right? And it's been a, I mean, it's been extremely challenging, obviously, especially in the early years of recovery, as it often is. Mm-hmm. But now the, the gifts I've received from the whole experience, the people I've met, the mentors, the, the fellow brothers and sisters who, including clients, uh, yeah, I mean, it's just been so vast, so rich, so beyond my wildest dreams of what I had ever um, dreamt I would have achieved and be doing with my life. Yeah. So, yeah. Very, 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 very touches me. Yeah. Can you speak a little bit too about the the memory recall? Because I think it's not it's not widely well known that memory recall of traumatic events doesn't always follow a linear pattern. And there are certain things the subconscious does to protect us. And we're starting to see more research coming out on this in a more empirical way, but certainly the way people experience experience it has kind of been invalidated to some extent until we've had more of that research available in the Western realm. So can you speak a little bit more to how those memory surface and why it is that some people don't always recall things until later in life. Yeah. I mean, at at a meta level, at a surface level is if someone is really has an experience, which is so far removed from their definition of norm, right. Mm -hmm. Uh, Depending on, is it multiple events? Is it a single event? Is it from someone close to them? Is it something like an automobile accident or whatever? Mm -hmm. If, if the body becomes so emotionally flooded, the memory center in effect switches off. Specifically, the memory center, the part with visual memory. Okay. So often that's one of the main reasons why there is no visual memory. However, on the emotional body, on the sensate level with sensations, it is still there. Yeah. Which is why fast forward, typically often 20 years later for many people, until they start getting memories of or they may find that they've been pushing 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 for so long that they suddenly burn out and it's almost like a doorway or a, an invitation for for stuff to begin to surface mm-hmm. so it's super common for many of the people are supported 20 years 15 years longer before they've had any inkling of a memory right and then it comes up and it starts from the sensate level mm-hmm. from the emotional level right feelings of intensity this is just not what i've had before or it's not slowing down anymore or i can't i can't keep a lid in it anymore Mm -hmm. i'm starting to feel overwhelmed i can't sleep i can't eat and then they may start to get the odd memory and or say dream Mm -hmm. where they're in this denial like no 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 i I can't have happened because it's so far removed from what they would have even hoped or believed to have been true um, from their lives right Mm -hmm. Yeah, And then the journey begins if one, and there's many ways in, obviously, but then the journey often begins for people. And obviously men, as we know, culturally, it's, I mean, it's so vast, the terrain, Mm -hmm. 
you know, belief systems, value systems, how we're being socialized, right? Indoctrinated, almost conditioned to be. Right. And then we often act in that place until we don't. And that's when the awareness begins to come in. Mm -hmm. Yeah. 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 How would you say, how would you say that sexual trauma is a pandemic of sorts? Well, I mean, there's so many studies in it, but at at a base level, what we'll know of is at least one in three women and at least one in six men mm-hmm. before the age of 18 have been sexually assaulted. And that's globally and in the world, right. give or take on different countries and so forth. Right. But even that alone is in the billions, right? Mm-hmm. Right. You know, over a couple of billion at, at least. Right? Yeah. Uh, taking children out of it, but it's like, it's, it's huge. And I think again, for many ways, keeping it at a surface level, it's not often spoken about. It's just not. And then we can go into, uh, obviously, depending on if it's a woman or a man, like the socialization of that. Mm-hmm. And I believe, and I'm super non-sexist, is that women are generally more at ease and more comfortable of speaking about emotions. I think that's sure. just a, a fact. Absolutely. Give or take, of course, but it's a generalization, right? right? And for men, we haven't often been taught, educated, support, adverse. And it's often, again, challenging, but it's in all of us, right, to learn and to, but I think for many ways on that, especially as we know with shame, feelings of guilt, humiliation, just the the, the distaste, the dismell, the, the disgust, the self of that, for a man often of, of trying to share that mm-hmm. with anyone, mm-hmm. to, to even name it, to acknowledge right. it, tends to, in my experience, be very different from the women I support mm-hmm. who tend to be more, more open for sure. Mm-hmm. Um, a lot of the men I support may just want tools. And there's, there's, you know, it's like, where do we start? We start there, whatever they need. And it's all about me in a way, supporting them to reconnect with their inner agency, their inner authority. Right. You know, that, right. that sense of knowing it from the inside out on what's true for them rather than me leading anything or guiding anything right and and then yeah it depends on the on the individual right right i recently read a quote by uh, i think it was dr kelly brogan and she said something like the antidote to how did she put it the the antidote to victim consciousness is curiosity and i think so much of the, the healing process from this really does stem from just being and allowing yourself to lean into a curiosity about yourself and just explore that without judgment. How do you see that showing up with your clients? I mean, I, I think it's one of the things I invite is just rather than a sense of compassion, which is often hard for people, especially in the early stages, just can we be curious to to what is it's almost like it is what it is until it isn't we we don't right. know because we don't right. know it yet right right so it's can we just be curious as just to see what if just to engage our awareness to to maybe consider with support looking at places we haven't looked at before mm-hmm. right and i don't mean necessarily going back to past events but just to engage the curiosity of i'm so much more and my capacity is so much more yeah and I can even begin to imagine right now, you know, and knowing that even if someone's in such a bad place that I'm yet to live some of the most beautiful days of my life, mm-hmm. you know? Yeah. Yeah. So curiosity is, is huge for me. And I find it's a beautiful doorway in for many. Yeah, definitely. How, how do you think overcoming the, the aspects of, of shame play into, and, and maybe you can talk a little bit more about it from both sexes or both genders perspective, play into people giving themselves permission to go into that space for doing the deeper healing? I think, well, permission is, is huge. And mm-hmm. I think for, for women, for sure, who, who I've connected with is so much I don't want to say easier, but kind of easier in a way. It's more accessible is maybe better. It's it's like they can can connect with it more. And for them, the whole thought of permission can be from, again, from my experience, is a sign of weakness. Mm -hmm. It's like, you know, I should be able to deal with this. I should be able to figure it out. Or I've I've read a book or I've, you know, I'll I'll be all right. I'll be all right. 
the energy of that. Not, of course, not for everyone, but as a generalization. So part of their the work is again like a top-down approach of you can say psychoeducation, but educating my clients on shame who don't know about it. Yeah. Right. And then also a bottom-up approach on being able to feel it from the inside out. So they can get a real sense of what it feels like when one is in a in a shame trance, when they're being blended with the energy of that, again, until they aren't. So right. then we can distinguish the difference from. But the inner critic, or, the, or the, again, the energy of that can be pretty intense, overwhelming, debilitating, you know, and really restrictive in, um, in life, for sure. Yeah. For sure. For sure. Hello, hello. I hope you don't mind my briefly interrupting this episode to tell you about one of my favorite culinary finds. Fatworks is the maker of premium traditional cooking oils. Fatworks crafts its premium products specifically for gourmet chefs, bakers, and all lovers of real food. Did you know that over the long term, saturated fat has not been shown to raise cholesterol levels by any large degree for most people in the population and that there is a protective element to cholesterol for overall mortality rates? Higher cholesterol is associated with better brain health and cholesterol is especially imperative to the synthesis of sex hormones. Did you know that the majority of fats that come in liquid form in a bottle are not only unsuitable for cooking, but many of these oils that have been marketed for decades as being quote unquote heart healthy are anything but healthy for your heart. Fatworks premium cooking fats are popular amongst the paleo and keto crowds, but are loved by anyone who understands the value of cooking with traditional delicious healthy fats. By embracing real fat as an essential part of their lifestyle, millions of people are getting healthier. From organic grass-fed cultured cow's milk ghee to a staple in my own kitchen pasture-raised duck fat, Fatworks is leading the way to healthier cooking. If you'd like to upgrade your own fat, just visit Jen's Favorite Things section at jenmayo.com and use the provided discount code for 12% off your first purchase with Fatworks. As always, supporting the products we love not only keeps the holistic health and wellness information flowing on the Body Literacy Podcast, but by and large supports companies doing amazing work to bring you solutions for true health. And now back to today's episode. I know you and I had kind of talked about the con- the, the concept of your being a safe container for a lot of people who maybe previously haven't had that in their life, particularly for women who haven't had healthy relationships with men where they felt like they, they've had safety. Can you expand a little bit more on the importance of, of safety and having a defined safe container for somebody to go through that exploration process for healing? Yeah, yeah, sure. Yeah. I think um, for, I mean, especially with relational trauma, mm-hmm. which, can, you know, just, just saying that as, a, as an energy is, there's so much mistrust mm-hmm. and also not just mistrust for others, but mistrust for self, mistrust for other, obviously. And, and often it's global. It's like a mistrust of the world. Like Peru and the world has been a, a dangerous place through, through what they've experienced. Right. Right. So that's often like an, an entry point just on, on again, on education and just supporting them to, to understand mm-hmm. and to go from there, Jen. Yeah. Every, everyone, I mean, there's, the big thing on the mistrust is how how do we get a sense of trust from within? Mm-hmm. What does it feel like? Now, if someone, again, for context, if someone has had a, a reasonably stable life, you know, they've had loving parents, have been accepted, received, validated, listened to, understood, you know, to develop a sense, let's just say, of identity persona. Like, I know I've got a reasonable gauge on who I am. Mm-hmm. And then an event happens, which is so out far removed, that can be traumatic in itself. Mm-hmm. But if someone's been birthed into an environment where they've had none of that, right. and they don't have any sense of identity or sense of self, and they're not quite sure who it is, who they are, and something happens which is pretty horrendous or horrific, the, the approach to that would be very different. Mm-hmm. But to get the, the, the point is, I on from my end, is what does mistrust and what does trust look like for the other? So for me, and often clients will reflect that back if they'll, they'll feel really comfortable with me in a sense of like, obviously, you know, transference, right? So they see me as, as someone, they project onto me 
the energy of someone that they've never had that before. Yeah. They've never had that level of consistency, that level of presence, that level of understanding mm-hmm. without any attachment, then needing to be different or needing right. to perform or needing to wear a mask or needing to, right? Right. So I find with the with the the work is is the consistency of it, and the repetition and laying it in, like layering it in. If sometimes they may get really angry, fantastic. Yeah. Or they may, you know, there may be a real emotional release or a lot of tears or something beautiful. Mm-hmm. And just to really normalize and validate that experience for women and for men is like a really strong, powerful, beautiful quality of masculinity mm-hmm. of being a man. Mm-hmm. And that knowing that if we do hold the energy of that in, you know, there's friction, there's resistance, at least to inflammation. And then it obviously unfolds and rolls out through a lot of health complaints, right? Mm-hmm. So again, a lot of psychoeducation on that. And just so they really understand, which is like the awareness front. It's a lot of our heart. And then taking that into the body so they understand it from the body. Mm-hmm. You know, yeah. like sometimes, for example, if someone's young and you know, they're really playful and they're full of bubbly and, you know, aliveness and they're constantly shut down. They may be like an overcoupling with joy with being punched or hit or hurt or verbally abused, right? So right. every time now in their life they try to go for joy, there's a, a push and pull, an expansion, a contraction. Mm-hmm. Or for example, someone who has never really experienced trust and this can be a whole new experience for them. There could be an undercoupling with that because they've got no sense of it. Mm-hmm. It's like, or, or if they go with the concept of like love, like how I don't even know what it means really about myself. Yeah. Because it's, especially for the men I support, it's not something they've looked at before. Mm-hmm. So again, engage in your curiosity. How might that look? Right. I'm not sure. Where do you see love in your life? How do you see other people engaging? And then again, taking it back into the body, right? As, right. as one way of many ways in. Right. So really important them to gain a sense of trust. And I find that is pivotal. Like, you know, for example, like the authentic yes and no, you know, knowing a time when I've done something and it felt so true, so right. And I did it and it was amazing mm-hmm. and it really worked out. Yeah. And then like an authentic no, when I did something and I, God, I really didn't want to do it, David, I just, I just knew, okay, where did you know? Where did you sense it? And then I did it anyway. And it just went to terrible. Yeah. So it's like, you know, getting the gauge on that, right. Right. To again, threads into creating a sense of trust from the inside. Right. Right. And also with people, as, as we know, Jen, with like a, I mean, there's so many ways of describing it. You would say like a traffic light from a red, amber, green. Mm-hmm. And for many people, it's just the energy of that as a new concept. Yeah. You know, but of course they know it because the, the body remembers, the body knows, no? Right. So right. again, so many, so many ways in. But again, to be able to feel it from a sense, of the inside out so they can get a real sense of agency in their own life and a sense of trust and their own capacity mm-hmm. to honor what really feels true for them, regardless of not having an expectation of how the other person yeah. will respond. Right. Right. Yeah. Can you talk a little bit more about somatic therapies? Because I know this is a, a more emerging concept that, you know, just doing talk therapy alone doesn't really help the body heal. And I know in all, all the programs I do, the body keeps the score by Dr. Bessel van der Kock is kind of my go-to almost textbook for people to start with and really understand what, what it means to understand how the energy of trauma still lives in the physical tissues of the body. So why is it important that we combine somatic therapies along, you know, with the, with other more traditional types of talk therapy? I mean, one, one way of reflecting that would be so many people have so much constriction and tension in the body mm-hmm. from often hundreds of assaults over a lifetime, which weren't, didn't get to complete in the way that they needed in a way, an effect. So obviously the tension, the constriction, which is in the body and the system, which doesn't get the release, which doesn't get to complete the event as we know, right. can, if left unaddressed, you know, go into some form of dis-ease in the system. Mm-hmm. Again, it creates a friction, the tension, the inflammation, right? right? So for many people, as you know, it's a, it's, it's revelatory. Once they understand like the good, which can come, from moving the body, but often doing it in a very titrated way, mm-hmm. in a very slow way of really tuning in and whether it be yoga or some form of 
you know, Qigong or Tai Chi or five of them dance or open floor or, or whatever it may be, running, right? But to bring in like a mindful component of really being able to feel it from the inside out, yeah. like to really feel it. Yeah. And then often we can start to feel around the edges of the, the sensations, what we feel in the body and often support the release of the, of the discharge of that, which can again can come into, which I find very important, like stretching practices, but not stretching forcefully, but just mm-hmm. support on the body to do what it would like to do if it was giving the, the holding to do so. Right. Rather than the mind taking over and doing what the body doing, what the mind believes it should do, right? Right. Based right. on its conditioning. Right. You know? Yeah. So yeah. there's obviously there's there's so many ways in as as we both know from mm-hmm. you know EMDR and somatic experiencing, sensory motor psychotherapies and so forth. But then there's also the the physical side, right? Which is right. as you're well versed in, is in yoga and other mindful-based practices which can really support the system mm-hmm. to essentially come back online mm-hmm. to really come alive again. Right. You know, right. Yeah. And I think we're learning so much more in the Western realm of what the fascia tissue or the connective tissues in the body are really almost like a fiber optic kind of nervous system for emotions and storing those experiences in our physical tissues, which is why we see so many of these constrictions in the body aligning with emotional or traumatic experiences that haven't been resolved and, and released yeah. I, from a scientific level. I find it all like incredibly fascinating. And I love that the Eastern traditions are starting to get more validation over in the Western sciences. So kind of yeah. cool times ahead, I think. And I, I think we're going to see a real shift in, in the way people approach root cause, root cause healing versus this sort of pill popping culture that we've we've been immersed in for the last century or so, but what do you see in terms of like the, the impact of sexual trauma on personal relationships? If that trauma has not been addressed and resolved. I mean, for sure. I mean, from a, from a body response, especially is, I mean, let's just go with the relating. If, if there's so much mistrust, let's just say, Mm -hmm. then, you know, you can't have intimacy without vulnerability and vice versa. Right. 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 So if there's so much mistrust there in the first place, and if the one or both partners, people, haven't got a real sense of the self from the inside anyway, they don't yeah. really know almost occupying the body because most of them may be living in, say, this hyper-aroused, adrenalized state. Right. So it's like the light of home, but there's no one in it. Mm-hmm. So often, I mean, in, in any kind of relating, it's what I find is like a, a simple map from even from childhood, if we're born of the essence, let's just say. Mm-hmm. There's like spontaneity and, you know, fun and playfulness and aliveness and just, right, beautiful. Right. And then obviously things happen, right? And we develop wounds of sorts. Right. Whether that be fear, shame, shock, abandonment, rejection, mistrust. Mm-hmm. Right. right. And obviously over the years, we develop many compensations, many protective strategies, defenses to counter that. Mm-hmm. So couple that with sexual abuse the the legacy of that the imprint from that yeah then many of the things which come up are obviously anything from like asexual sexual, mm-hmm. to not being able to do intimacy at all mm-hmm. at any level of vulnerability to right. you know something very different and so forth mm-hmm. but it's often um, i mean it's huge yeah it's absolutely huge so again part of the work um, or the process we, we do is is obviously seeing where the fellow human being is in that instance. Like, how is relating for you? And saying like the words intimacy, vulnerability, how is that? Mm-hmm. Like, how do you notice in the body, right? So it's always like the pendulation of, of, of getting a sense and almost developing a container. And what happens when you are triggered? Like, what obviously, what are your sensitivities? What are your triggers? And what are your beloveds? What are, what are your partner's triggers, right? Mm-hmm. So right. then we can understand each other's wounding and sensitivities. Mm-hmm. So then we can, you know, we can have respect for that. Right. And then for example, if, if someone does get triggered, then often if someone's in a very hyper aroused or adrenalized state, they're, they're quick to pop mm-hmm. and either act out as we know, and put that energy on another blaming, shaming, name calling, hopefully mm-hmm. not physically, but right. 
Right. And then after that, they may go in like a shame spiral. I can't believe I did that. I'm wrong. I'm bad. I'm terrible. Mm-hmm. Or they may act in with the energy and withdraw and isolate and maybe go down to a really low vibrational energy, which may be called like clusters depression because they're feeling really depressed. So, so yeah, I, I mean, it's, it's huge. I mean, from not wanting to be touched to not being good with proximity mm-hmm. to like the hot and cold of the body and not understanding what's going on the confusion and again obviously depending on the the fellow human being how it's how it's impacted them Mm. you know is it something they're able to talk about is it something they've shared right have they got a partner who they've attracted out of let's just say i'm saying woundedness but not in a negative way have they attracted someone who they want to say fix them yeah right Right. let's just so often we can say from a level of consciousness depending on our, our our healing journey or recovery journey, we often, if life was a mirror, we might attract whatever we're putting out. There's one way of saying it. I'm not right. saying it's true, the energy of that, right? Right. So have we attracted a partner who, or even a friendship, who we feel listened and received by mm-hmm. and not shamed or invalidated by? Right. You know, is right. there a sense of attunement, like a resonance? Is enough like mutuality of consciousness between yeah. these two individuals where they can kind of regain a sense of home in a relational field. Right. You know, so right. which may be a very different experience from the past. Right. Yeah. No, I love that. What other, what other healing modalities do you employ or recommend for people who are working through past sexual trauma? I mean, one of the ancient points I say is, Usually how, how is it, because obviously we know about the talking therapies and so forth, but how is the, the nervous system? And usually it's very dysregulated. And obviously, as we know, dysregulation can come in the form as hyperarousal. Mm-hmm. It can come in the form of collapse. It can come in the form of like having the accelerator and the brake on at the same time. So the, right. pair, the person may look a bit collapsed, but inside they're actually really hyperaroused and very on, you know, very busy. Yeah. So it kind of... It just depends. I mean, what I say is with any trauma recovery, like slow is faster. So it's almost like a, an analogy in like a chemistry lab at school mm-hmm. where we're doing like a little titration and we put a drop in and we just take our time and then eventually it changes color. But if we put too much in, it just goes black or whatever. So it's a bit like that. And it's part of that has been the curiosity and the, the gentleness and the compassion towards our own systems. Because it's not like we're damaged. It's it's a bit like shame. It's like something happened to us, which left an imprint, and we're still living out of that place. But it's mm-hmm. not who we are. Right. Uh, it's a bit like obviously, like so with shame, we we carry someone else's baggage around like luggage as if it's our own. It was never ours to carry in the first place, right? Mm. So what I often say is with like gentle movements, because some people again may be very uh, very active with like triathlons or whatever very pushing, nothing wrong with it, but how are they on the inside? Right. So for me, gentle practices like Qigong, like Tai Chi, Mm -hmm. if they're doing yoga, like restorative yoga, Mm -hmm. like Hatha, the likes of that, things like gentle movement therapies, like five rhythm dance, which is not a dance at all. It's like a dynamic meditation Mm -hmm. or like open floor therapy. Okay. You know, the, the, the basic things like grounding, like getting our feet and bodies on the on the ground, on the land, or on the sand, in the water, in the ocean. So nature. Like Epsom salt yeah. Exactly, yeah. right? Or, Nature's Or just allow nature to wash us, right? Right. Beautiful. And different kinds of breathing, right? From, I mean, we, you know, you know about the box breathing and Wim Hof. And what, there's so many ways in diaphragm breathing. Right. But just, it's almost like a, it's like re-educating our body, as I see it, with mm-hmm. curiosity. And like yeah. a real inquisitiveness, like when I do that, like what happens inside? Right. You know, is it good? Is it bad? How, how do you know? And what does that mean to you? Let's be playful. Let's, so it's almost, it's a bit like the kindling on a fire. Mm-hmm. You know, it's just, we just get it going. We give it a little bit of air, not too much wood or paper. And we gradually, and eventually with time, it just takes off on its own. But if we give it too much, too fast, too soon, it just goes to uh, the shit usually. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So a real gauge, and, and that's what I find like with, with people often, the, the energy may, wow, I'm feeling better, they may say, or different, and then they'll push and collapse again, right? 
So just a really gently titrated way, but always feeling it from the inside out. Yeah. And another really important facet to, to the healing or recovery is, is surrounding ourselves with people who kind of inspire us. Yeah. Well, people who really are kind of walking the talk, people who've maybe been through some challenging experiences, but they're in a way they've came out the other side. Mm-hmm. They're, right, they're in the arena. You know, they're doing it. They're not just talking about it. Mm-hmm. Obviously, again, being able to maybe share conversations, which they've maybe not had in the past, can sometimes be like popping a bubble. You know, it's a bit like all this energy, which has been kept inside of not being able to share about certain things. But again, to do it in a titrated way so we don't overshare. Because right. then we can go into a shame attack, right? And oh, I've overshared and we may join like a men's group or a women's group and not go back, for example, from right. oversharing. Right. So it's just gently, gently, slowly, slowly. Right. Right. And it's, I love what I love what you said that slower is faster. <laughs> that really yeah. resonates. Yeah. 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 And often again with, with, with the, the guys and, and even friends and men I, I've supported over the years is is that either wanting the finances to fix it, to come how long, how many sessions will it take? Right. Right. The energy of that. And there's nothing wrong with that. Right. But it's it's just, how would it be to just be curious of just being with the here and now and just starting here? Yeah. You know, I don't know where to start. Fantastic. Let's start there. Right. Right. And back to the, this shame conversation for a minute. I know I've heard Brene Brown say she's, she's a wonderful shame researcher who even knew, knew that was a field, but she had a, a wonderful quote, something like guilt is, is, I've, I've done something wrong. Shame is I am wrong. And I think understanding that distinction between having done something that you're not proud of versus being something that is wrong are two very different things and and trying to make the shift between the two to create a healthier dialogue within yourself is a process unto itself. Right. Yeah, sure. Yeah, sure. And that's one of the things as well, obviously, we, we, which is obviously in the conversations is, I could say like there's healthy shame. There's many ways to look at it. Mm-hmm. What could that look like, David? You're in a schoolyard as a kid. You're angry. You slap a critic across the face or you kick a ball in the face or something on yeah. purpose, intentionally. And we can say, that's not okay. Now you could feel guilt around that mm-hmm. or you could feel shame as an I am wrong. Right. But we could internalize that as like socially, that's actually not okay, that behavior. Right. Not you, the behavior. Healthy shame, but toxic shame, as we well know, right. is typically given to us, right? Right. And we become infected by it. Right. And then we take it on as our own and we live life from that place, believing we are it. Yes. Like, as in who we are when it was never ours to carry. Right. In most cases, it has nothing to do with us at all. Nothing. Right. 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 Yeah. So, wow. so, yeah, Brenny Brown's amazing. Oh, yeah. She's, she's fantastic. So, yeah. and the work on vulnerability. Right. Oh yeah, totally. So so important. And it's yeah. again like where do we start with vulnerability? For me, with myself. Can I be vulnerable with myself? What does it look like? Mm-hmm. Can I share from that place? It's like one of the ways to heal shame is to share things we haven't shared before. And again, you know, it's multifaceted, but to be able to share and, and expose it. Yes. And then how do we feel after? And usually if it's done in a certain way, we actually feel or one actually feels lighter. Mm-hmm. feels different it's like wow i'm not carrying that as heavy now yeah or maybe sometimes we can share shame and we get a very different response mirrored back mm-hmm. not one of shame or disgust or loathing or i can't believe you said that or whatever just like wow right someone curious like wow tell me more i'm really interested wow right. that really touches me when you share that right very different experience right yeah can you expand a little bit too on the the definition of sexual trauma? Because I think so many people, when they hear that term, immediately go to sexual abuse, but there are so many other forms of sexual trauma that aren't necessarily overt abuse. Yeah, for sure. I mean, I say basically it, it's a, I mean, there's so many ways to say it, like a sexual act, mm-hmm. which wasn't given permission for, wasn't given consent for in any way. And that can be covert, as, you, as you're saying, with right. touching, penetration or whatever, or it can be overt. And overt can be 
anything from language and suggestive comments to having someone watch pornography mm-hmm. to exposing oneself to someone to, you know, it's, it's so, there's so many, but I, I really think it gets overlooked as well. And often many of the clients I support and obviously what I've read and trained in, it's super common where people are, I didn't realize that was sexual abuse. Mm-hmm. For example, a, a young boy I'm supporting at the moment where he is a young guy and he dated a woman who was in her mid twenties. Right. Mm-hmm. But he was 13 when he lost his virginity. Mm-hmm. And he didn't have an option in a way, but he didn't realize that was sexual abuse. Right. Right. It's very, uh, again, multi-layered, multifaceted, but it's, it's so, I mean, the thing is, if someone is a child or if someone is cognitively impaired through either drugs, alcohol or other drugs or whatever, or even medications, they cannot give the consent. Right. Right. So from that alone, it's like any sexual act or behavior, which can be either coercive, you know, manipulative, forced, violent, right, threatening to get someone to do what they want them to do for their own satisfaction. Mm -hmm. So obviously the the acts of this has nothing to do with the sex. It's about power, right? As we know, it's like power over another. So that's a, a main like entry point is what I use to it. And obviously for a child, there's often a, a befriending, like in a grooming process, a befriending, a, a conditioning, a shaming, sometimes a threatening, subtle threat, but it's, it's so confusing. And this beautiful human being just wants to be loved and validated and accepted and received and feel worthy and feel befriended. Right. That they're, they're actually worthy of some connection and, what they may perceive as love right. in some distorted way, which comes from the perpetrator. Right. 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 Yeah. And I, I think there are some broader cultural dynamics too. Certainly in medical culture, I see certain issues with, with pediatrics and gynecology, especially where, you know, certainly the, the, the people on the, the medical end of the spectrum have no idea that they're necessarily causing harm to somebody, but the way the body experiences a procedure or the handing over of power or just n- not being able to, especially in the case of children, to participate in that consent tends to be very overlooked in the medical culture and as well, some religious and, you know, cultural context of just things that we witness in the media and so forth have a way of embedding themselves in ourselves in a, a traumatic way. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. And, and often with that as well, I, I see it as not saying it's true. It's like this hierarchy, like a power imbalance, like right. little boy, little girl, get in your box and comply. Mm-hmm. And if you don't, it'll be repercussions is almost like a, like a subtle threat in it. I mean, I remember when I was younger, I had this, like six surgeries on my back. I had an accident, blah, blah, blah. But one time I even woke up on the table in the middle of the surgery. Mm-hmm. So you can imagine like the, the trauma oh, wow. even of that. Yeah. But everything, everything was dismissed. Mm-hmm. Everything was dismissed, right? Yeah. So obviously, and even in the, the dental and the medical arena, I mean, I've seen so much and heard so much. Mm-hmm. And from circumcision to, again, I'm not saying it's right or wrong, but from, from different things where we see someone almost as a, as a piece of meat or as this body. Right. And as it seems like on the receiving end of it, there's nothing more. And often I'm left scratching my head when I still hear things. And especially what the last two years in the, in the world to do with like medical freedom. Right. And just right, um, totally sovereign being, and to be able to have a voice on saying what's true for us and what isn't right. and what's what we want and what we don't. Right. But to be able to have a voice about that. Right. And I think there are so many things that we've culturally culturally normalized and it's just kind of gone on autopilot where we don't question things. And certainly there are ramifications for not asking those questions, certainly, especially when it applies to children, not trying to take a more empathetic approach and understand how a child's mind and body might experience something versus an adult that can rationally step into, you know, allowing somebody to enter their body in a certain way or, or whatever that a child is, is not able to do. So, yeah, I think there's certainly a much more expansive definition of, of sexual trauma that maybe 
because of cultural factors, we just don't, we don't tend to force ourselves to think about. From a more holistic perspective, why does sexual health and sexuality matter in the big picture of overall health? I mean, in a way for me, like sexual energy is life force energy mm-hmm. coming from the base chakra up, right? Yeah. So someone is collapsed or constricted or even numb behind the genitals in a way, in some way. Mm-hmm. It's like the, the, the ripple effect of that. It's almost like it's cut off. It's, it's stopped. It's blocked. Right. And in a way of saying that even for men, like a castration wound, it's just the, there's no, and one of the things just to thread in off, off younger with trauma is like learned helplessness, right? Mm-hmm. So someone wanting to come into the energy and being shut down and wanting to come into the energy and being shut down to the point where they just give up. Yeah. So a lot of people who've had a lot of trauma can be, let's just say a little bit more collapsed Yeah. or they may start things and quit really easily. Right. Right. No. So for sexual energy and life force energy, I would say it's, it's pivotal mm-hmm. in recovery, but do we need to start there? No, we start wherever someone wants to, but I would still thread it in as being very important. And as to why, Mm-hmm. And what I find is, as people start to move their bodies in ways that are meaningful and purposeful for them, yeah. again, feeling it from the inside out, is this right for me, actually? I've been right. told it's good for me, but how do I know? Right. But when they really start honoring the yes of that, yeah. then a lot of the, the, the constriction bands around there can start to loosen and soften, mm-hmm. which, again, is another doorway in to start to feel some sort of energy around there where maybe there wasn't safety to feel it. Mm-hmm. Um, for many years gone by. Right. Right. And I think the body so much has a language of its own that's maybe even much more profound than the thinky mind's use of words. I think language actually tends to get in the way of people's being at home with themselves sometimes. And I think once we learn to tune into the language of the body, there are so many gifts there to be received you know, both on a personal level and an interpersonal level. So um, with that as well, I think with like sexual trauma or or say like a sexual injury, let's just say just for context, right? If someone feels injured, they feel something happened and it's left an injury here. Then depending on which perspective we look at, like the heart and the genitals are connected. Yeah. So often I'll start with the heart, you know, and doing the work around that on whatever whatever it senses into with the, the fellow human being mm-hmm. who I'm supporting. And then as that starts to become more alive, often, again, there's just a, as they get more sense of safety and self-love or self-compassion in their own way, then often there's a, there's a movement in different parts of the body of a, an aliveness starts to wake up. Right. When they start to really gain sometimes for the first time in their life, an internal sense of safety. Right. Right. And there's been so much great research recently too, especially with heart rate variability and so forth on understanding that the heart actually has its literal own intelligence. They call it the heart brain that is separate from the thinking mind. So I think we're going to see more coming online with how that, how that plays into overall health and the health of the world, even at this point, certainly. Sure. Yeah, Yeah. for sure, Jane. And you've got a lot of like the likes of Jody Spencer's work, which is a lot with the Heart Math Institute, right? He's very linked to yeah, that. You know, yeah. in many ways. And if people say, where do I start? I just say, just follow the thread. Start yeah. there and follow that thread. Right. Takes a village, in my opinion. Yeah. And I always say that people, the village can come in, books, podcasts, webinars, workshops, mm-hmm. people, you know, and yeah. it doesn't have to be big. Yeah. But in my you know, experience, it takes a village. We're all like walking each other home, right? The Ram Dass quote. Yeah. I love that. Yeah. Yeah. Are there any other points that we may have not have hit on that you'd like to include with regards to sexual trauma or holistic healing? I mean, it's, it's always lovely to connect with you, Jen. I would just say is for anyone who, who may be watching this, they may have experienced it themselves, sexual trauma or in some way, shape or form, covert, overt or they may be living with another or supporting another. They may have a friend or a family member. Mm-hmm. And I just say, it's like, you know, you can look at like vicarious trauma where if someone's in a relationship with someone who has been sexually abused, then if the person who has is not dealing with it in some way without saying a way, right? Cause mm-hmm. there isn't, then the other is likely 
to become not only codependent, but obviously traumatized in the process and not be aware of it. Right. And then we'll go into like this enabling caretaking role of sorts, right? Right. So what I would always say is just to just to get curious and and there's so many ways in. Mm-hmm. And again, just start there. Start with whatever you feel, but invitation is not to do nothing. Right. It's just right. start somewhere. You know, like you know, and checking out what you do as well. I mean, I don't know if you want to just to share a little bit about what you do because it's all related to this. As well. Oh yeah, I mean, totally. I mean, my, I, my, my role really in all of this is to help people understand the mind, body and body mind connection, because it's a, it is a two way street. So we find some kind of creative ways to do that through dance and, and other somatic work and understanding biohacking tools and, and things like that. So I really encompass this notion of we medicine, where I I think there are a lot more people coming online and being drawn to more Eastern and alternative healing arts, but don't necessarily have the roadmap or the vernacular to find their way to that. So I'm able to serve as a a bridge for that and just helping people understand the mind-body connection and realizing that the body and mind aren't separate, which is why I love your work. And certainly when when we met and first connected, that really stood out to me, especially when we started talking about, you know, you're being, having the ability to be a safe container for people. I think that's, that's so important and can't be emphasized enough. I did want to back up um, just real quickly. And this is my last question. What do, what do you think we can communicate or say about the role of self-awareness and healing from trauma? I mean, for me, that 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 is the first step in recovery. Right. right. It's like we don't know what we don't know because we don't know it yet, right? Right. <laughs> uh, which is how we start the map not being the territory, no? Yeah. So it's and that's again with the curiosity, self awareness is is just to almost a bit like what I've been doing the last two years in my own process is questioning everything I've been told mm-hmm. by anyone of perceived authority, yeah. including parentage and so forth, right? Anyone who I've put my I'm not saying my trust, but I've, I've allowed them to impact the way I've lived my life. Right. Just to question it, yeah. question everything. Yeah. So, and then again, as, as you're eloquently sharing on the top down and bottom up approach, like to get curious on the body, like, how do I know? Mm-hmm. Like, how is this? Does this feel joyful? Does it feel expansive? Do I feel a bit more grounded, a bit heavier and more in my body? Has my, has my thoughts and head settled down or, Am I foggy? Am I constricted? Am I contract? You know, it's like, how is it for the person in whatever they do? And I always say to people to be curious as an invitation on eliminating forms of inflammation, external forms and internal forms. Yep. So it's looking at things like, you know, what foods and fluids are we putting in our body? Mm-hmm. Are we using at the very least filtered water and or preferably restructured water? Mm-hmm. Right? Yep. It's like, who are we surrounding ourselves with? We become what we think about. We become who we surround ourselves with in, in many ways. Like, so who, who's in our field mm-hmm. uh, and how does that start to impact us? Right. No, it's like, how are we sleeping? How are we on like an intimacy vulnerability level? How are we with our sexuality? Mm-hmm. How are our friendships? What are we like with mission and purpose? Like how, how is the connection with that? Yeah. I mean, I could talk about that for on and on and on, but you get my point, right? Yeah. And it's just to be self-aware, but I always say to people, no judgment. No judgment, right? It yeah. just it is what it is until it isn't. It's just it's not whoever you think you are right now is not who you are. Mm-hmm. It's not who you are. It just isn't. Mm-hmm. So when someone actually gets that in some way, it could be a subtle way, even that's like the kindling on a fire. Mm-hmm. That that lights something. So before you know, you might have 30 fires burning and and then it starts to catch and there's there's an aliveness starts. Mm-hmm. And then people start to live life from that place, right? Right. So they start attracting a a different thing, you know, you can link it in a mirror neurons and everything, right? It's we, yeah, we start to attract different. We start to live different. Yeah. Not saying that the shame and everything will go forever or the, the voice of say the inner critic, but as we get more structure inside and more become more aware and become more embodied, we have different tools and resources to, to get distance from the judge, to understand it, to understand that we've become emotionally flooded. And it's just a very regressed part speaking right now but it's not who I am. Mm-hmm. So can I just be with and hold that part and just slow down right. and just breathe? No? Absolutely. As, Absolutely. One, as one way. Yeah. 
And I think we just have this innate human need to be known by another or by others. And that really starts with knowing ourselves. For sure. And often as well, what that triggers in me, I'm mindful of time, so I can keep talking, is that if ever someone has experienced a lot of trauma in their childhood, let's just say, they've been so used to firefighting. Mm -hmm. They've been so used to almost leaving their bodies, being in this disembodied state of -hmm. being outside themselves, not knowing what's going to come next, not what's going, knowing what's going to happen. Am I reading this person right? Because yesterday they, they did this, but then they hit me. Like there's so much. So then often there isn't a sense of self on the inside. Mm-hmm. And often coming back into the body, as you'll be well aware, is can be really scary for some people. Yeah. So sometimes with the men I work with, it's like backdoor awareness. So I don't go into the emotions. I don't mention the word, but I do a lot of different tools and techniques to get them to get a sense of something and then I can say so how has it been to talk about emotions for now and they just like what emotions yeah <laughs> right well it's, it's a word but we hear the word like victim rescuer thriver survivor and it's like for some people yeah but it's just context because it just isn't true right. it's just a frame of reference which at least we've got something to get a some context about as a doorway in exactly, exactly. like when we get triggered right it's like if I get triggered I can take my energy off my beloved or whoever and say, oh, wow, like it's amazing that they've just triggered me because it gives me a doorway to go in to show me where I'm still not free. Right. Right. So not to have an expectation on them or blame them unless they're being very invasive, obviously. Right. Which never the case. But again, come back to my own authority. Like where's my growth right now? Mm -hmm. What is life mirroring back to me to show me where I'm not free? Mm -hmm. Not that nothing needs to change, but I can engage my curiosity to think, is it something I want to look at? Right. Is there growth in there for me? No? Exactly. Oh, I anyway. love that. Yeah. Well, David, thank you so much for, for joining us. Where can, where can people find you online if they want to learn more about your work? I say the best way is, is to go to my website, uh, davidalexanderwilson.com. Okay. Uh, I'm on Instagram things, but that's my main, my main okay. place. All right. And yeah, they could message me, message me through there. Okay, great. And I'll include that in the show notes so people can find it easier. So thank you so much for sharing your experience and just everything you've been doing uh, with your practice and and so forth. It's It's been, a, I think, a very good framework for people to kind of find an entry point into understanding how uh, how sexual trauma plays out in a bigger, bigger way in, in their lives and how to overcome that. So thank you for joining us. I really appreciate it. Love that you connect as always. Yes, of course. Take care. Thank you. Bye now. This podcast is for informational and entertainment purposes only. Any statements and views expressed by myself or my guests are not medical advice. The opinions of guests are their own and the Body Literacy Podcast does not endorse or accept responsibility for statements made by guests. If you have a medical problem, please consult a qualified and competent medical professional. As always, I hope you enjoyed this episode of the Body Literacy Podcast. Be sure to subscribe and sign up for updates over at genmayo.com. 